stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. Hope you're having a great week. I'll tell you, this show is so important. I hope that if you are listening live, you will recommend to all your friends, your Twitter friends, your Facebook friends, to get on Voice America right now because right next to water, the second thing that we need most in order to survive is food. And our guest today is going to be talking about some very alarming things that we need to be aware about of in our farming, in our agricultural communities, what's going on um, in the world of agriculture and what we can do as consumers and as maybe even some of you farmers who are listening can be doing to protect the earth and protect our food supply. Eric Herm is the author of a new book called Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth, and he's with us today to talk about a very well-researched piece of literature he's put together. I enjoyed it very much. Um, It's part philosophy, but many parts research, and I was so enlightened, um, and I'm so excited to have him on the show. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Eric. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Jill. It's a pleasure. Well, now, this is the 95th episode of Go Green Radio, and I have, throughout the couple of years that I've been on the air, I've prided myself in trying to find guests that didn't fit the stereotypical hippie, tree-hugger guest, you know, environmental activist, and you are certainly one of the more unique guests that we've had. I loved the introduction of your book. You called yourself a redneck and a hippie, and uh, I I was immediately intrigued. I'd love for you to tell our listeners about your background. It's very interesting, and why you're so passionate about protecting the earth. Well, I grew up on a cotton farm out here in West Texas near Ackerley, Texas. It's a small town, and um, I left the farm, you know, when I got into my late teens, I wanted no part of the farm. I wanted to go do other things, got a degree in broadcast journalism, um, left college, worked in TV and radio for a while, and then uh, hit the road, went to Colorado, where I was, was basically a ski bum, worked for a couple of years <laughs> then uh, in Alaska and worked on fishing boats, you know, kind of wanted to get out on the open road and be a little more adventurous than just being tied down to one place and got to do a lot of traveling in, in Europe and Northern Africa and see a lot of different cultures and different uh, people and how they live life and uh, came back to West Texas and decided to come back to the farm and help out my dad. And um, when I got here, just I didn't think I'd stay, to be honest. You know, I just wanted to come and help him for a couple of years and go on to my next adventure. But uh, when I got here, it was uh, an immediate bond uh, with not just the farm, but uh, with the earth and 
and being outside and working with plants and uh, started relearning everything and realized there was a lot of challenges that uh, need to be tackled and it need to be tackled by a younger generation because this is a long road ahead of us. And uh, I just really had this real love affair with nature and, and uh, it just kind of renewed my enthusiasm for life and uh, very adamant about uh, trying to get back in tune, not just for myself, but for others with all those uh, really glorious aspects of nature. Well, what did you find when you came back to your dad's farm? Um, what kinds of things did you find that maybe, you know, were harmful to the earth or, you know, were harmful to our food supply? What were some of the things that, you know, made you want to stay? What did you see? Well, soil erosion, first and foremost, West Texas is really noted for its sandstorms. And, uh, you know, it, it can look a lot like the Dust Bowl did on on certain days in the spring, especially if we miss a crop out here due to drought, there's not a whole lot of organic matter in the soil. So that was my goal, number one, to to restore some organic matter in the soil to put more life into the soil. And also, I just saw that we were using more chemicals, whether it was herbicides or pesticides. And uh, I really studied insects, uh, got down to read many books with guys like Philip Callahan who dedicated their entire lives to insect behavior and uh, I really learned how insects function, why they attacked our plants and learned it through their own visual energies through ultraviolet rays and uh, infrared that they're attacking these plants because they're weak plants and we have weak soil so we're growing sick plants and their job is to take out the weak plants, you know, just like a cheetah will chase down the slowest gazelle. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's just nature's survival of the fittest code. And so when I, once I discovered that, it was like everything else started to open yet another door, another window for me. And I realized all these chemicals were just uh, creating more problems. Long term, we were just treating everything cosmetically. And uh, it just uh, baffled me and I thought, oh, surely everybody knows this. You know, I've got to get this information out there. But uh, most farmers aren't as enthusiastic to get that kind of information. They are uh, very skeptical. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I know that writing, gosh, even writing a blog for me every day is a challenge sometimes. But writing a book is truly a labor of love. And I've talked to a lot of authors on this show, and each one of them will tell me, that there was some driving goal or some driving vision that kept them going day after day um, in doing the research and, and, and writing the book. What is your goal? I mean, now that you've published Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth, which, by the way, folks, I would definitely encourage you to pick up. You can get it on Amazon. And I read it, and it was, it was truly, truly a great read. But what, is, what do you hope is going to happen as a result of having put this book out, Eric? Uh, that people will welcome nature back into their lives. You know, I think it's easy in, in today's world with all the technology we have, easy access to uh, food at our grocery stores or whatever we do. It's relatively easy to attain, and uh, we've done a we've done a poor job of including nature in our lives. You know, we whether it's a city where we'll destroy, you know, miles and miles of of earth and cover it with concrete and asphalt and put up tall buildings and, you know, we'll we'll spare the token shrub or tree here and there. Uh, we're really kind of, we've gotten away from 
really what makes us complete or happy. Uh, you know, anybody who who spends time in nature or has a garden of their own, you know just how much uh, it can really change your outlook or your attitude for the day or even your life in general. Uh, people that are able to get out in the wilderness and go for walks. and uh, We just need to do a better job of knowing that nature is really an extension of ourselves. And uh, that challenge goes out to farmers as well. We need to have a better relationship with nature and not just treat her as a commodity. Well, you know, speaking of nature, uh, Chapter 1 of your book goes right to the heart of what I want to talk about now, and that is, you know, there's nature's way of creating seeds for the plants that we grow and ultimately consume. And then there's something else going on with our seeds. In your book, you say that our indigenous seed supply is in great peril. Talk to us and explain to our listeners what's going on with our seeds. Well, there's genetically modified organisms or GMOs or genetically engineered. There's They're labeled different ways, but it's you have a handful of companies in the world who have patented seeds uh, they create seeds, or they have the seed, and they'll take the gene from uh, another organism or another thing, such as Bacillus thuringiensis, which will help uh, a plant be resistant to certain insects. Or they'll take the gene from uh, glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, the herbicide, and insert it into the organism of the seed. Well, this is this creates all sorts of unpredictable reactions, actions and reactions in nature, which will cause that plant to even be toxic in a lot of cases, whether it's toxic to us, to animals, to bees, to other insects. Uh, It's creating major issues. And, uh, you know, long-term, it begins that certain insects will mutate. And like Bolgard 1, which Monsanto put out, they no longer can use it anymore because insects have evolved just like any insect will evolve against any pesticide over time, they'll get resistant to it. But um, it's creating environmental issues. You know, it's been linked to a lot of the colony collapse disorder with with honeybees. Uh, And in people, we're really guinea pigs right now because it's in 80% of our foods. You're looking at cotton, corn, soybeans, and canola. And those commodity crops, about 85% on the average, are genetically modified. Why should everyday consumers, I mean, we've got people listening from sea to shining sea to Go Green Radio, and most of them, you know, are not in the agricultural business. What are the health risks or potential health risks to human beings as we consume these commodity crops that are, by and large, genetically modified organisms? Well, it's it's fake food. Um, you know, I've, I've I've made the comment that it's like, going home and making love to a toxic blow-up doll every night. It's a poor substitute for the real thing, you know. its We don't really know how it's going to affect us over the long term because these have been on the market since the early 90s, so we're looking at almost two decades. So anyone who's 18 to 20 years old, you've pretty much been having this in your diet for the majority of your foods, knowingly or unknowingly. And <laughs> it's altering our genetic makeup. You know, we're, we're taking foreign toxic substances and injecting them in our in our food, not just with the herbicides and the pesticides and everything else we're doing chemically in agriculture. Now we're having um, chemically laced or toxic laced seed. And that's uh, when, a, when an animal such as a cow or even a, a, a mouse, when they have a choice in, in these 
results or lab tests, 10 times out of 10, if given a choice of real food or the genetically modified seed, the, you know, indigenous seed over that to eat, they will take the indigenous or the natural. Mm-hmm. But we're not giving these animals a choice. You know, the soybeans and the canola, that makes up most of the, the cattle feed, the hog feed, uh, which in turn we are eating. Uh, so it's just a snowball effect. And, uh, yeah. you know, they're coming out with more results, more tests, and more studies revealing skin allergies to, you know, uh, basically it slowly deteriorates your intestines. You know, um, <laughs> they're just learning more and more because this was unregulated, you know, in the 90s. Well, and interestingly enough, you know, we've had a lot of guests on Go Green Radio talk about some of the environmental you know, hazards and environmental pollution going on that may or may not be linked to the rise in childhood diseases that we see. We know there's a greater percentage of children with asthma. Autism is on the rise. And and there have been a number of different things blamed, uh, you know, for this unparalleled rise of, of childhood instances of these diseases. I haven't heard much. I mean, we've heard about vaccines. We've heard about mercury. I haven't heard much about any potential link between genetically modified crops and these diseases and these, you know, health afflictions. Uh, Are there any tests at all going on? Well, surely there are. I mean, I don't think it's any coincidence that since 1990, autism, I think it's gone up 400% in children, Mm -hmm. which is about the exact same time the genetically modified crops hit the market, you know, got into our food supply. There's no, there's no way that, I mean, I'm no scientist, but nobody can convince me that this stuff that we're putting into the food supply that we're accepting as food is uh, not harming us, particularly uh, children and and, uh, infants, you know, when this is going into their body from the age of two years on. Well, and we know that children, you know, are more susceptible to these types of toxins. I mean, that's why, you know, we've had guests on who've talked about certain pesticides that shouldn't be used around schoolyards or playgrounds or even where women who are pregnant are present because, little, you know, little bodies just metabolize toxins and environmental toxins so much differently than adult bodies. And so this is something that I, I want to pick up after we take a quick commercial break. Folks, don't go away. We've got more with Eric Herm, author of Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth. Uh, if you want to check it out while we're on commercial break, you can go to Amazon.com and, and check out the book. It's, it's a great read. But don't go away. We've got more with Eric right after these messages. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest best the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com you're listening to go green radio with your host jill buck jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show so call us toll free at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 write to us too save some trees and send us an email to go green radio at gmail.com that's go green radio at gmail.com now back to go green radio with your host jill buck Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad that you could join us. If you are just joining the program, we're talking with Eric Herm. He's the author of a new book that you've got to check out. It's called Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth. He grew up in West Texas on a cotton farm. He's got a world of experience. He didn't stay there right after uh, getting out of school. He's done a lot of things, but he came back home, and he's a farmer now, and he's got a message for young farmers, old farmers, everybody in between, and consumers of the crops that, that we're getting from America's agricultural uh, community. And now I have to give a, a quick shout-out. I have a very special listener today. Uh, my daughter is listening. She's taking a class at uh, her university, the Economics of Agriculture, and she and I have been talking a lot about Eric's book. And uh, what we're going to be talking about this segment is really relevant to what she's learning about and what her friends are learning about. So, hey, Katie, thanks for listening. Eric, I know that some farmers who use Roundup Ready seeds, we're going to talk about seeds again, uh, they're telling themselves and they're telling others that, hey, we're actually doing something great for the environment, that somehow using Roundup Ready seeds are better for the environment, they're greener in some way. What do you say to that notion? Talk to us about Roundup Ready seeds and, and the environmental trade-offs associated with its use. Well, the analogy I used with that is, you know, I could have a lot stronger arms if I were to cut off my legs, but uh, I have no desire to do that. You know, we <laughs> we are we're addressing one problem 
you know, we're solving, we use less fuel because of these kinds of crops. We don't have to go up there and plow as much. Um, you know, there's not as much tillage, so we're not putting as much carbon into the atmosphere. But when you're going out there and you're using a toxic seed that you're paying uh, 10 times as much for uh, as a natural seed, and you are basically putting more chemicals into the earth, you know, as a result of this, and they're not telling you what these chemicals are doing to your own soil. You know, there's studies conducted now with glyphosate that decimate uh, soil life. All these little tiny uh, millions and billions of microorganisms that we need in our soil to to have an healthy ecosystem in the soil, it's decimating uh, their lives. Uh, They're not going to tell you that. So guys are using this stuff for maybe 10, 20 years now. Uh, what ki- what kind of shape is the earth going to be in when you pass it down to your next generation, when your son takes it over or your grandson or even just the next generation in order? Those are the kinds of questions we need to be asking ourselves in agriculture instead of addressing everything as a one-year economic plan. We need to be looking at everything as a 50-year environmental plan because um, we don't need to be so selfish as to just look at this as about ourselves. Well, and, you know, you would think uh, with farmers being so close to the earth and with the way that it's been very difficult for uh, farmers to stay in business and to pass something on to their to the next generation, to their families, that that might be a concern. I'm, I know that, you know, I grew up in southern Illinois around farms. I mean, I grew up in a rural area, and these were some of the most salt-of-the-earth people, some of the best people I've ever known. Um, why is it that you know these these chemically modified seeds are so popular with with people I know have a you know big heart for their families and and a respect for the earth? What's the lure? Economics. I mean, it's it's an easier way to farm because it's less labor involved. You don't need as many guys to be employed. Um, you don't have to do as much labor. There's less wear and tear on your tractors and equipment, and you don't use as much fuel. Those are really the only ways, and it's all economics. You know, everything is, is looked at through an economic lens. But, um, you know, it's not, most farmers don't realize it because they, they really haven't done the studies, and we're listening to the wrong people. You know, it's these billion-dollar companies that we're listening to. You know, they we hire consultants, and they usually got the name of that company on their shirt, whether it's Monsanto, DuPont, Syngenta, or bear crop science, you know, <laughs> they're, we're, we're creating billion-dollar companies that don't really need to exist, like the entire pesticide industry. It's bogus. You know, these were brought about after their war companies. That's how they got their start, back to World War One, They made all these chemicals, and then they flooded the agricultural world when there was an excess of them after the wars ended. You can trace that back to World War One and World War Two, where there was a huge injection of chemicals in agriculture. And it's just like a drug. We've become more and more dependent on it, and we have to use more of it to get the same results. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that, uh, you know, in doing the research for this show, I tried to look up some studies on GMOs and, and Roundup Ready seeds, and, and there is information out there from organizations like the EPA, FDA, USDA, on genetically modified seeds and crops. But 
you mentioned in your book something I had never heard before, and you said that because of the numerous ties between these government agencies and the companies that produce these goods, you have a difficult time trusting in the studies that come out. Talk to us more about that, because that's a really, um, that was a, a brand new concept to me. Yeah, going back to the late 1980s or early 90s, um, a lot of government uh, officials there's a revolving door between Monsanto specifically and the EPA or the, or the USDA. Uh, you can trace, like, uh, Linda Fisher, who was head of the EPA at one time. She was higher up in Monsanto. Michael Taylor, who is uh, a top advisor to President Obama right now, he has ties back to Monsanto for about 20 years now, top attorney. Uh, Justice Clarence Thomas was a defense attorney for Monsanto in the late 80s. Um, I could go on and on that there's just this revolving door, and a lot of these people have helped write legislation that's been able to get past it, help these uh, genetically modified companies or the genetic engineering companies um, get their foot, uh, a stronger foothold in the agriculture world. Mm-hmm. You know, and talk about that legislation, because uh, in your book you talk about how sometimes lawsuits occur when a farmer y- using genetically modified seed plants next to maybe a a natural farm, and the wind blows, and there's some cross-pollination that happens, and then the farmer who was trying to plant natural seeds, never meant to have any genetically modified seeds, you know, come on to his property, ends up being slapped with a lawsuit. Tell us how that happens. That sounds crazy to me. Well, there's, these companies have a patent on these seeds, uh, like whenever you whenever you plant genetically modified crops, you have to sign an agreement that you will not uh, catch your seeds, you know, and for production and for future crops. Um, the most famous case is Percy Schmeiser up in Canada, where he'd been growing uh, canola his entire life, and you know Monsanto basically came in and slapped a lawsuit on him, but it was wind contamination or, or you know from the wind. It was contamination from his neighbor field who planted genetically modified. Because of their patent, you know, they're able to get away with suing friends for infringing upon that patent. And it's happened all over the country. Uh, It continues to happen. There's been more cases in the last two or three years where farmers are starting to uh, fight back. You know, they're filing lawsuits of their own for these crops contaminating their indigenous seeds. And like with Percy Schmeiser, he ended up winning in the long run, but... You know, he didn't uh, get to save his crops, which they were contaminated and ruined. He had to destroy them. So um, it's it's an evil, <laughs> evil little battle they fight, and they usually can win because they have billions of dollars and enough attorneys to keep you wrapped up in courts. Mm-hmm. Tell me, how is it possible for a company or a corporation to patent a plant? I That's kind of, you know, I, I'm befuddled at how that's even possible. Yeah, you and me both. Um, you know, I always assume anything that grows in nature, you can't. Uh, you know, it's it's like they, they have a double-edged sword because they're, they consider this as food or, you know, legally it's considered as food, you know, where they're able to get away with not having to uh, label it in the grocery stores. But in the same case, it's not, and they're able to get away with patenting it because it's um, such a rare uh, species with those genes inserted into it. And again, it goes simply back to their 
their heavy ties with D.C. and Washington. You know, they have all these lobbyists. They have all this money. They contribute millions and millions of dollars to campaigns. Uh, they have a lot of power and influence. You know, I, I compare them to the Goldman Sachs of the economic world. They're, they're that to the agriculture world. Wow. Now, you mentioned in your book something called a Terminator seed. Tell us what that is. Well, the Terminator seed was developed by Delta Pine, and they the seed basically, when it produces, it produces sterile seed. So you can't take that seed, harvest your seed from the from the crop and use it to plant for future generations or the next year's crop, which farmers have done since the beginning of agriculture. Um, so, but Delta Pine was bought out by Monsanto in 2007, and so now Monsanto owns that uh, patent or that seed. And if that were to ever to get released out into nature uh, widespread, it would be catastrophic if it were, say, corn, mm-hmm. you know, where no corn seeds could be reproduced, and then you have a monopoly by one company because they basically have cornered all the seed. And I know that sounds really far-fetched, but when you consider they've already got 85% of the market already between four companies, it's it's not that far-fetched. Well, and you already know of many cases where their seeds have, you know, like you said, the wind blows, and it's blown into somebody else's field, and... Uh, cross-pollinated with indigenous seeds. So it's not like that's never happened before. And so if these terminator seeds can blow around as well, um, that is not at all inconceivable that 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 could happen. We've got to take a quick commercial break, folks, but don't go away because we've got much more with Eric Herm, author of Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth. You can check it out, buy a copy on Amazon. Fascinating stuff. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. Today we're joined by Eric Herms, author of Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth. And during the last segment, we got really heavy-duty. We were talking about genetically modified seeds and, you know, the implications that that could have on our food supply. And during the break, I said to Eric, oh, my gosh, you know, this is kind of like science fiction. It can almost freak you out if you listen to, you know, what's going on and you become informed. Give us, Eric, give us some hope. I mean, you know, all is not lost. What should our listeners be thinking at this moment besides, oh, my gosh, you know, our food supply is being contaminated. What, what's the hope in all of this? We have the power to change it. I mean, it's up to us. This is, this is a wake-up call. This is, this is the fire alarm in the middle of the night. You know, I, I'm not going to sit around and say everything's going to be okay. It's not if we do nothing, if we continue to go around and, uh, Say nothing, do nothing, it won't be okay. But if we get more involved with our food production, educate ourselves more, uh, talk to our local grocery stores, make demands that we want labeling, make demands of genetically modified, make demands that we want uh, organic or all natural, you know, get involved with your local farmer's market, grow your own garden, uh, Develop a community that centers around a community-supported agriculture or its own garden. You know, this is a real chance for us to to take life and make it, create it, whatever we want it to be. We don't have to accept the system that's already in place. We don't have to accept the fact that the, these corporations are, are running the show. We can start our own show, and it starts with how we live our lives and the choices we make, you know, and it begins with our food supply. You know, this is, this is solvable. Well, and, and I love the fact that what you're saying is so thoroughly American. <laughs> you know, from the beginning of this country's history, that's been our mantra. You know, we don't have to accept, you know, what's going on. We can create our own systems, and that is the very basis of our society, is the people taking charge of the, the kind of lives they want to live, and maybe even more importantly, the kind of life and the kind of um, standard of living they want to pass on to future generations. So, um, you know, and for those of you who are listening in urban environments, I want you to go back to 
some conversations that we've had with um, the folks from Grow NYC. They're a big organization in New York City. And even though, you know, you're talking about one of the biggest cities in America, they've got urban growing centers and, and not just farmer's markets, but actual um, crops being grown in the middle of the Big Apple where people are able to get their own fresh produce and, um, you know, fruits and vegetables right there in the middle of the city. So all of the things that we're talking about today and taking control of our food supply can happen whether you live in a rural, urban, or suburban environment. Now, I want to move on to the next topic in your book, which is really, really important, and that's water. You know, there's a lot of media attention right now around the global water supply and how many people go thirsty and and contamination of pharmaceuticals and things like that in our water. And yet, when I'm out on the soccer field or talking to, you know, parents around town, it's really hard to get Americans worked up about our water supply despite all the media attention to it. So, you know, tell us from a farmer's perspective why you're so concerned about our water supply. Well, where I live, it's an average rainfall of 17 inches, so I'm I'm constantly wary, or like all farmers in this area, of of rainfall or water. Without it, we don't survive. Uh, you know, these plants, these trees, it's it's impossible. There's only a few species that can can make it without. Uh, you know, some marginal rainfall. And, you know, we take it for granted because it's we can turn on our faucet, it's there. But there's a lot, Our you know, we have a huge impact on our water sources, you know, whether it's underground aquifers or our rivers and lakes and streams. Um, we just need to be more conservative in these issues, but we also need to be more aware of that we can do things such as rainwater harvesting to not have such a huge impact on our on our rainwater or our, our water sources. Uh, there's unlimited amounts, you know, of things we can do. Like here at my own house and barn, we we collect all our rainfall off our off our roofs, you know, and filter it. It's not real difficult. Uh, you know, it takes a little bit of money, but. Uh, it's a lot cheaper than buying bottled water the rest of your life. And when you consider the impact that has on the environment, um, you know, we just need to be able to have our own source of clean, healthy drinking water uh, and usable water right at our homes in our cities and our neighborhoods. Well, and it's it's interesting, you know, and a lot of people may not realize this, but what percentage of our fresh water supply here in the U.S. goes toward agricultural use? Uh, about 80%, 80 to 85%, depending on the source. Wow. It's huge, huge it impact. Well, and we, I know living here in California a couple years ago, well, even last year to, to a large extent, the Central Valley, which, you know, some people call the breadbasket of the U.S., was dry as a bone. I mean, there were some, you know, farms that did fine, especially in Kern County, because they, they've been very smart about how they've done their water there. But, um... You know, there was a lot of the Central Valley just wiped out. Um, and, and I don't know, are you experiencing the same thing in West Texas? I mean, how, how do we continue to, you know, get enough water to our agricultural areas and still feed the cities with the drinking water that they need? I think we can start with the rainwater harvesting. I mean, on every farm there's a good-sized barn. Um, you know, I figured it, if we get 20 inches of rain on on a year 
they average. We can we can harvest up to 150,000 gallons on our barn alone. Wow. You know, which is significant. You know, for every inch of rain on a square foot of roof, you can uh, average uh, 62 gallons, 0.62 gallons. And That's a lot. Uh, so you take a thousand square feet off of one inch of rain, you're going to get 620 gallons of water. That adds up significantly over time. Uh, all sorts of things like that. I think in a lot of drought-stricken areas where we're using excessive amounts of water, we need to be cutting back that water rates, and we can do that if we rotating in other crops that will help insulate the earth with organic matter, and we won't be losing as much of that uh, water to evaporation. You know, more water will stay in the soil, and we won't have to pump as much water into it. You know, it'll hold there in the root zone. Right. And is that... You know, kind of what you were talking about when you mentioned permaculture in your book? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think permaculture has some brilliant concepts, which is you're basically creating nature the way that it already existed before man came along and started screwing things up, where you can grow your crops vertically so you don't have to have a whole lot of acreage. Uh, I've focused on planting a lot of fruit and nut trees here around us, you know, fruit for us and nuts for birds and other animals out in nature. So, you know, hopefully over time they'll learn that, hey, this is you guys and this is ours over here. We'll see how that goes. But, um, you know, I just think we need to um, copy nature, you know, in a flattering way and utilize as much of the natural uh, landscape as possible and put a lot of land back into grass where we can plant trees across it and, uh, you know, we just got all this barren land out here, and if we, we did a better job, we could grow more productive crops with less land. You know, you mentioned, and you kind of gave this um, this idea to farmers in your book, that rather than focusing on more product for less price, we need to focus on replenishing the soil. How, how do farmers do that? I mean, how do they replenish their soil, you know, and not go brook? Yeah, but taking a percentage of it, if it's one farm every year or, say, 10% or 20%, 30% of your acres on each farm and rotating in another crop, you know, you have to figure it out to your with your own uh, individual uh, operation what that number of acres could be or what you can do to make that work. Um, because I think we go... You know, we swing for the fence every year a lot of times where it's like, oh, I'm rolling the dice. i got to get the good cotton crop this year. And we've taken that attitude for 30 years now. And we're down to less than a million farmers, so numbers tell us that that's not exactly working out so great for us. Mm-hmm. So if we're restructuring the soil, rebuilding it, you know, a little at a time, over a period of time, it, it's huge. It's huge for us. It's, it's huge for the earth. And then we can't just keep looking at our fields as a bunch of dirt. I mean, that's our source of uh, not just our income, that's our source of life. Hmm. Well said. Very well said. On that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. But don't go away, folks, because we've got much more with Eric Herm. While we're on break, check out Amazon.com and uh, check out his book, Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth. Great read. I highly recommend it. We'll be right back with more Go Green Radio. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. World. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk Radio Show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news, talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America Channel. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We're here with Eric Herm. He's the author of a book that I hope every young farmer out there will get a hold of and say, yes, this is what I want to be. The book is called Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth. And um, I can only imagine, Eric, that if you get out there with future farmers of America and young ag students at universities around uh, the U.S., that you're going to be so well-received. You know, you just have such a legitimate voice as a farmer yourself, as somebody who's been, you know, around and has done a lot of research. Um, And I think that a lot of young farmers are going to look to you and say, you know what, you're right. I want to be a guardian of the earth. I, you know, this is how I feed my family, but it's also how we feed the world. Tell us from, from your perspective as a farmer, what can everyday consumers do to support farmers who want to do the right thing? What can the rest of us do to help you? You know, I think it's it's getting to know your farmers. If, if you live in a in a farming community or a rural area, or say you have a farmers market or anything, get involved. You know, get to know these people and really create a community. I think that's what we're really lacking. We have this huge gap between the farmer and the consumer, and I don't, I don't, you know, that took a long period of time for that to occur. But we need to close that gap, just like the farmer 
needs to bridge that gap with his relationship with nature. We need to bridge the gap between uh, the rest of humanity and farmers because there really needs to be a hand-in-hand relationship here. Um, I think that's the number one thing we can do. I think you can also uh, educate yourself further in all this. Uh, You can get involved in local organizations, whether it is a farmer's market or be a leader and create a community-supported agriculture-type community. Um, There are a number of things we can do. You know, if it's just getting involved with uh, planting trees around your local school or trying to get your own own local high school or elementary to to get like a garden started or or uh, something for these kids to get started up into. I think that's where we really need to be getting them is is in these in these schools when they're young so that they have those life skills. You know, they know how to grow their own food when they get out into the real world. Agreed. I mean, get your hands dirty, you know. And I think there is a real disconnect and even some of my hippie friends from Berkeley that I love so much, you know, I mean, I live 25 miles from Berkeley, so, I mean, I'm not exactly in a farming community, but the environmental activists who are, you know, 100% city dwellers feel the same way. I mean, they really want uh, kids to reconnect with farmers and, and to appreciate you know, it's a noble job. It's one of the most important jobs, you know, we've got is the people who grow the food that we eat every day and they want to reconnect um, urban kids and suburban kids with farming communities. And so I think I think a lot of us can team up and help make that happen. You know, one of the things that I couldn't help but think about when I was reading your book, because you really do talk about some of the corporations that are, you know, producing and pushing genetically modified seeds and, you know, that impact that it's having on our food supply. Are you concerned at all, Eric, that, you know, these corporations would somehow try to discredit you or your book? I mean, are you worried? you watching your back or or not really? No, I'm not because, I mean, it is the truth. It's not like, um, you know, I'm making stuff up. And I think they have their hands full because I'm not the only one fighting this fight. There are several other organizations out there involved with this. There's tons of other individuals who've done a lot of research and, you know, who I I really leaned on a lot of their books and research to write um, that first chapter. And uh, I'm just one of many, you know. And uh, I think that uh, as more people get, uh, you know, informed about this, educated, they're going to have their hands full with us. You know, this may be a battle of David and Goliath, but uh, all we need is that one good stone. Yep, and good slingshot. Well, are there any um, are there any organizations that farmers can join so that they can kind of band together, you know, to create more farms using indigenous seeds and things like that? I mean, everybody knows there's safety in numbers, and is there a way that that farmers can band together through some sort of organization so they don't feel alone in this fight? There's not a national organization that I uh, I would know off the top of my hand to actually recommend. Uh, most of these organizations are local. Mm-hmm. Uh, like here in Texas, we have the Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance, which um, they've done a really good job of keeping on top of legislation that's getting passed, uh, whether it's uh, uh, your own communities. It's really getting to do your the research in your own places. But there's um, Food Safety Watch. There's There's dozens and dozens of of organizations. If you get my book, they're at the end mm-hmm. of chapter one. But uh, I would get on the internet, you know, and just see what's happening in your own communities. If you want to get uh, 
maybe this is our chance to create one nationally. You know, well, and I think that wouldn't be a bad idea because, quite frankly, some of the legislation that's affecting um, what can and cannot be done with genetically modified seeds and such, I mean, that's national legislation. So, you know, the, the, some of it is local, of course, you know, with uh, local water boards and things like that in terms of water supply issues. But for some of this, it really is a matter of national legislation. And, and I, I want to piggyback on something that you said, Eric. You know, your book... Not only is it just really well-researched and fun to read, but you have a lot of great um, recommendations for websites to visit, books, other books to read, um, even documentaries to watch. I'm kind of bleary-eyed this morning because I was up late watching The Future of Food, um, which was one of the documentaries that you recommended. So, I mean, Eric's book is much more than just his own research. It's kind of like a, a little library in and of itself for people who want to dig in deep on any of the issues that he covers in his book. It's very well done. Um, you know, Eric, when you envision somebody reading your book, whether it's my daughter who's, you know, taking the economics of agriculture class at her school or uh, some farmer, you know, next door to you in West Texas, and you envision them reading your book, finishing up, setting it down, what do you hope they'll do next? Change the world for the better. I mean, that, that may sound like a cheesy answer, but that's that's all of our responsibility. You know, we don't have to accept things for the way they are. You know, it's it's within us. Uh, we have the strength, we have the ability to change things for the better, and we don't need to continue to wait for somebody else to do it. You know, we need to be that change. We don't need to rely on a corporation or a government or another group to do that work for us. It's up to each and every single one of us to band together and start making these necessary changes in our own lives, in our own communities, and that will create a spark. And next thing you know, this is starting to spread. You know, just like a bad thing can spread, a good thing can take it right over. I love that. I think that's very sage advice, and I hope that that's exactly what happens. And, you know... When you say change the world for the better, I didn't snicker because I thought it was cheesy. It's not cheesy at all. I I snickered because I love it. I think that that's such a fresh and honest assessment of what needs to happen. And I think that young people today, I think, you know, kids who are going to be the next generation of farmers, I think they are actually very comfortable with that idea. They're very comfortable with the notion that, well, why not? You know, somebody, history's written as a catalog of people who changed the world. Why wouldn't it be? You know, why wouldn't it be us? And I think that that's a really exciting message. And I hope that everybody who's listening, who is concerned about, you know, what's going on with our food supply, is going to get a hold of Eric. And they're going to, you're going to get out there and, and hit the speaking tour. I know that you've already got a few gigs coming up, but but I want you all to to really think hard about having Eric come and talk with you and read his book, talk to your organization. If you need to help getting in touch with him, you can send me an email at gogreenradio at gmail.com. But Eric, we've got about a minute left before uh, it's time to go. What are your parting thoughts for our listeners today on Go Green Radio? You know, just do, do your own research, do your own analysis of this. You know, don't don't get too freaked out by it because it's this really is a lot to take in, a lot to absorb. But uh, you know, just one step at a time is the way that things are changed. And by bo- bonding together, 
by creating core groups and being a leader yourself, that's the way we're going to right this ship. You know, um, like you said, why not me? You know, why not you? Um, you know, let's start. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Eric. It was truly a pleasure to have you on Go Green Radio, and maybe we'll have you on again soon as things develop, and you can give us some updates on how you're changing the world and encouraging others to as well. Folks, we'll be back same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. So join us then, and until then, have a great week. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.